righty, here we are. Back. Back. New year. Lots of things <laughs> popping off. <laughs> Back to the future. <laughs> yeah, or the past. 2020, man. The roaring 20s are back. Great Gatsby or something. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I've already had a couple of cigars. There you go. Yeah, I didn't need one, one more today. So here we are in 2020. We're excited to bring you our first interview of the new year, which was actually a double, speaking of 2020, uh, a, I like to call them Miami's entertainment power couple. Yeah. Can we say that? We can say that. I'd love to say that. Kevin Chinoy and Francesca Silvestri from the Freestyle Motion Picture Company, uh, who have been in our community for a while, but they have made so many great projects over the years, uh, have such an amazing relationship with filmmakers, with talent. Most recently, they did the Florida Project. A big one. Yes. yes. Talking about the hometown. Home run. Yes. Great film. Willem Dafoe got a lot of Oscar buzz. One of my favorite actors. Definitely. So we get to hear a little bit about how that relationship happened and how he got involved in the film, and, as well as a bunch of the other projects and sort of their journey through the industry. Willem Dafoe was nominated for this one. Yes. Yes. Gracias, Robert. <laughs> so here we are. And we are back in with great interviews. But first, of course, just to remind everyone in the new year who we are. This is Kevin Sharpley. JL Martinez. Screen Heat Miami. Brought to you by. Kajik Multimedia. Cinevision. Ah, I remember. very good. <laughs> Miami Medium Film Market. And Camacol. Yes. So we are going to jump right into all it because there's so much going on. We just got to get right into the, the, the award season and all the buzz. We just had the Golden Globes. Yes. Golden Globes, Oscars, all happening at the same time. Man, this shortened time frame, man, because we're used to, right? These Oscars coming out sort of the end of February. I feel like we had a little more breathing room, but now it's just like... It's right on us. Wow. It's, this was quick, man. <sighs> Can't catch my breath. Barely got over the New Year's hangover before we're at the Globes watching Ricky Gervais. <laughs> we can't even catch up on Screen Heat Miami. Jeez, and now Oscar nominations just dropped in the middle of the night and now we're here looking at an, an, a very, very interesting year topped by, you know, I think the number one nominated superhero movie of all time. Right? Well, before we get to that, let's get to the Golden Globes. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about the Globes, and then we're going to run right into the Oscars. Yes. Felt like it came and went in a flash. Like it snuck up on us, right? It did, but we did talk about it moving in. We talked about... Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. Yes, and he he did not let me down. That he was, knocked it out of the park. That was a really tight monologue, and he, he just he walked a line that was controversial, yet... You know, it, it felt like it wasn't belittling or, you know, th th I think a lot of what he had in the past that people were going after him for. I mean, obviously, people still had a lot of uh, what they call the um, the pushback online. But still, it's like everybody's a complainer nowadays, unfortunately. But I thought that he walked a very interesting line. Yeah. And he walked that line. There was fire on both sides of that line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He didn't fall into one fire or the other fire. I, I still can't. He made get it. it clear to the other side. <laughs> he did. He, anyway, he he obviously started by saying, "Look, these are jokes. This is just entertainment." But uh, but yeah, when he went right after Apple, Tim Cook in the room, <laughs> Chinese sweatshops. Jeez, he doesn't care. What a moment it was! Like the most powerful CEO and the most powerful company in the world, <laughs> and you just call him out in front of a global audience. Yeah, but oh. I mean, you know. When you do things like this, it does nothing but give 
a lot to the companies that he talks about and the people that he talks about. So you believe the old adage is no such thing as bad PR? There's none, hmm. especially now, you know. Maybe well, it is an old adage, well, unless it's but me. it is I, apropos for these times. I, I think Me Too is probably the one that, that can that can do more damage than good. Well, yeah. Depending on which that, end of it you're on. I don't consider obviously. that, you know, press. Right. Well, <laughs> it is, unfortunately, but it's a very negative attention. That is, yeah, yeah, that's a whole different thing. Okay, right. So we're talking about jokes being used as PR fodder. Yeah. <laughs> to say it that way. Yeah. I mean, so, you look at, are we going to broach this? But, you know, Weinstein, you know, he. He was mentioned. He was mentioned. Yeah. That was a very interesting comment. But, uh, but yeah, he was definitely mentioned. So anyone that hasn't seen the intro, it's definitely worth watching that clip. I think NBC has it up on YouTube. So very interesting moments. Very interesting winners. 19, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix taking home the best. You know, obviously, I, I thought he was the favorite for that. It was just, yeah. you know, such. Yeah. An interesting speech. Very interesting speech. Yeah, I thought it was going to go. Yeah, the whole thing about you know the, then the private planes and that. It was interesting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know he's he's an artiste. You know he, he obviously knows. I think he's more self aware now. You know even mentions at one point he I'm, says it. He's a pain in the ass. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. But yeah, an interesting journey for him so far. You know I think all eyes are on him obviously for the Oscar nomination as well. Yeah. Uh, Joker also just being one of the front runners for Best Picture. I would imagine. Yeah, but I mean. 19- 1917. Yeah, that one, that was a sleeper, you know, just because of, we were talking off mic, how late it kind of came into the game. But yeah, t- tons of winners, you know, uh, Irishman got shut out, seems like, right? It did. So a lot of people were expecting that to win something. Yeah, but you know, I don't, the Irishman, if anything, is more of the traditional fear. So I would think it would be more right. of an Oscar kind of take. Yeah, for sure. Than a Golden Globes. For sure. Not that the Golden Globes is always a popularity contest. Right. But, you know, they have a tendency to kind of skew towards that area. Sure. So I want to see what happens with the Irishman and the Oscars. Me too. Yeah, I think that that is going to be a very interesting uh, turnaround to see how the Hollywood foreign press votes versus the Academy. The Academy. Yeah. So that we'll, is. we'll see. And to be fair, two totally different groups of people, but there does seem to be synergy between those. You know, the results usually tend to favor one or the other. Yeah. What I was happy to see was although the representation for women needs to be a lot stronger particularly in the director category i know we talked a little yeah. bit about that but there's so many talented female directors that are just as good even better in so many occasions that i just feel like they just need to be given a chance you know to get up there at least nominated you know it's just so few and far between for such talented people uh because you know you're not talking about this is not this is not a sport. You know, mm-hmm. women have so much power and compassion and ability to tell stories in such creative ways that we just really need to start to recognize that more for sure. Yeah, but I was happy to see the Joker composer. And I am going to rip up her name. <laughs> That's a, it's a tough one. <laughs> Hilder Gudnatur. Gudnatur. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it just... Or that up. That was worse than John Travolta and Adina Menzel. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I remember mean, that Adina Menzel. That's not you know, right. it's not that difficult. But um, at any rate, yeah, she is the first solo woman to win a Golden Globe for composition. Original yeah. composition. Yeah, yeah. 
So I was happy to see that. That's fantastic. You know, so obviously, look, you're not going to get everything all at once, but I think that that certain inroads are being made. You know, recently you had the uh, the the Black Panther cinematographer that was nominated for her previous film, and you know, first female to be nominated in, in the cinematographer category. Now we have a composer that's up there getting a lot of buzz. So yeah, I think the doors are slowly opening. You know, so I think that the director category will open up in the next couple years. We'll see. We will see. But in the meantime, uh, there was another uh, talented sort of female that we've been talking about, uh, an actress that, uh, you know, very close to our friend Greg Howard's film that you wanted to talk about. Yes. Cynthia Arrivo. Yes. Yes. She was nominated for Best Actress and for Best Original Song. And although she did not win for the Globes, we are rooting for her for the Oscars. And not only are we rooting for her for the Oscars, if you go to the website, you'll see that we did a special edition on Gregory Allen Howard's prediction for Harriet for the Oscars. And he predicted that she's going to be nominated for Best Actress and for Best Song for the Academy Awards. So go to the website. We have a special edition that we've done specifically for Harriet and Gregory Allen Howard. We pulled out an excerpt from that interview and we do want you to listen to the entire interview as well right but please take a listen and hear his predictions for the academy awards coming up because she's nominated for the golden globes right and she was nominated for the critic choice awards yeah yeah she still has a very legitimate shot i think that uh and again you know there there is always that overlap but it doesn't mean that whoever won the golden globe is automatically locked in to win the oscar yeah and and the sag aftra so you know she's kind of getting that trifecta there yeah, there you go. So, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, you know, talking about another sort of homegrown product uh, and female directors, Lulu Wang, who uh, whose star Aquafina did win. Yeah, she did. Farewell. So, and we saw there Lulu Wang, kind of rooting her on. Of course. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, all fun stuff. Like I said, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all publicity. It was great to see her win. Yeah, but it was great to see her win. That was a really good performance. Oh yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, and it was really great to see Parasite. Yeah, Parasite also picked up some awards. So two awards. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorite films of last year. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's another one that's just you know really hitting all the marks. It hit. Yeah, and you know, I'm still waiting for it to come to on demand. Oh yeah, and then cable, so I can watch it over and over and over again. Oh yes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also picked up a, a few awards. They did very well. Uh, Happy you know, to see that. Good old Quentin getting back up there. He is. You know, and, and I think that, you know, Greg mentioned that he is one of the true writer directors uh, yeah. that, you know, that just really takes so much time with the screenplay. And you can tell, you know, he's won multiple awards now for his screenplays, uh, Golden Globes and Oscars. So that's really his wheelhouse. He's just a tremendous writer. So, you know, kudos to them. Yeah. And it was nice to see Brad Pitt up there. Yeah. Good old Brad. Looks good, man. I like the yeah. shaven look. Nice, clean cut. <laughs> yeah. 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 A little bit of long hair going back. So, yeah, he deserved it. There you go. He deserved that award. I'm not crushing on the guy, by the way. <laughs> very... Hey, everybody. Come on. Come on, man. No one's saying anything here. All right. Now for the big one. The big one, the Oscars. The Academy Award nominations are out. And there. this is a hot debate this year. So for the Oscars. The Oscars. All right. This is the one. The Super Bowl of the entertainment industry. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a 
storm Man. with the Globes. Yeah, it was crazy. But this is a storm with the Oscars. Yeah. Controversies back in. Totally back in. But uh, yeah, just showing, you know, I think we referenced it, that it's a completely different voting pool. You have the Hollywood Foreign Press doing the Globes. You have the Academy. Different the voters. people voting. So this is an interesting nugget. I had Cheryl Boone Isaacs. Right. Here in Miami, we had a conversation with Cheryl Boone Isaacs. And she was, of course, the former president of... The Academy for Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Right. So that's the person who gets up and gives the speech in the middle of Academy Awards. They are, I guess, the North Star of the Academy Awards. Right. And I remember this, and this is three years ago. So we had her here. It's a conversation with Cheryl Boone Isaacs mm-hmm. in conjunction with the Miami Film Festival. Right. So it was me. Jay LaPlante, the executive director of the Miami Film Festival. And listeners, you can go back and listen to Jay LaPlante's yeah. podcast. Fellow, sc- fellow screen heater. Three podcasts alum. Yep. Three podcasts ago. And myself, and we were on stage waxing poetic about her career. Right. She's one of the biggest marketers in Hollywood. Yeah. And then she became the president of the Academy for Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Right. But I spent three days with her. Okay. And she was telling me about how she helped to shepherd in one of the most diverse outreaches in terms of Academy members. voters. Right. Which are members. the members. Right. The members. So, so the yeah. membership is a lot now, more now, diverse. Now, three years later, do we think that's paid off with, with the nominations? Does it matter? You know, is it may the best man or woman win? Or, you know, it, the, do we feel the need to make it diverse? I don't know. Well, I think that it did help. Because, you know, you go back just a couple of years and you see the diversity of the offerings. Right. But I think it also has to do with projects getting made. What projects are getting made. Right. That boost to that level. Now, there are projects that have been overlooked. Of course. I think Hustlers... Was yeah, overlooked. the farewell. I, I definitely think the farewell. Yeah, the farewell. Our our to our homegirl Lulu Wang. We love you. That was a great movie. Uh, I think you should have got a little more love from the Academy. Yes, we love you, Lulu. Yeah, we'll we'll see you soon. And <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but I mean, you, you look at the offerings. Dolomite is my name. I think was also overlooked. Ah, great movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, obviously, the, look, traditionally the Academy does tend to overlook comedy or comedic actors. Look what happened to our friend Adam Sandler this year. Uh, everyone was yeah. expecting them to get the nod, and and he did not. Yeah. So so yeah, that's it. Just goes to show that there. I, I feel like there are still certain biases within the Academy. Uh, the old tropes of you know uh, comedies don't win, mm-hmm. holiday movies tend not to do well. Except this year in animated category. Yeah. Claws. But Claws, amazing, amazing film. Yeah, Spanish production, I believe. I did not know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spanish director, yeah. But it goes to show you story. Story, mm-hmm. story, story. And of course, production. Yeah, great and th- story. And that's what I'm saying. You know, are the projects out there that have that gravitas in terms of production? Sure. And I think that that is something that really also needs to be addressed. Sure. And so that comes from, you know, the production side of it. Right. Not necessarily the Academy side of it. Right. I mean, from a production standpoint, obviously, and we see all, you know, bigger pictures tend to do well, obviously, in the technical categories. Uh, but, you know, to be fair, Joker for a superhero movie. I was going to say that if the, the flip. It's a mid-range drama. 60, it $80 is. million. Dollars. That's not a big deal. I mean, Irishman was made for twice that. Yeah. Yeah. 
But what a performance. Yeah. What a spectacular Exquisite. performance. Exquisite. But so, that has flipped. You said the tropes. That has flipped it because traditionally these superhero comic movies mm. were not nominated. Mm. And so Joker, most nominated yes. for this Academy 11 Awards. nominations laughing all the way to the Oscars. <laughs> Oh boy, was that a Jared Leto, Jack Nicholson? I was, yeah, I think I kind of blended everybody in. <laughs> that was your original take. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, you know let's let's think about it because Joker really to me was uh, an outstanding film in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, I obviously I did not see it as a traditional superhero film. Uh, it felt very much like a psychological drama. There was so much going on. It was so much about the actor and the performance that you know there was there was not much superhero-y about it yeah that's true and you look at some of the films that Todd Phillips spoke of that were inspirations you know King of Comedy right Taxi Driver yeah yeah the Scorsese you know who you know had his own nominations doing very well himself this year we'll see you know he was shut out of the Golden Globes but let's see if he has a little better luck here at the at the Academy Irishman looks like it's had you know yeah, nice standing here. As far as nominations, they showed a lot of noms. Yeah, so yeah. they they had a good chunk, and then of course the other big one in terms of of the sheer number of nominations is Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Love that movie. What a great film! Yes, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, and I look. I know a lot of people had issues with the revisionist version of telling a true story, but but you know, the, I think the title kind of gives it away. You know that this wasn't going to be your. T- and he's done it before. You know, yeah. glorious bastards. Yeah. So it's it's the kind of movie that I just think, and something that talking about old tropes, what the Academy loves, movies about itself. Yes. Hollywood loves talking about itself. If it if that movie does make it through the noise, because it is said that if you're going to do a movie. Don't do a movie about the industry. Right. Unless you're Quentin Tarantino. Unless you're Quentin Tarantino. Making your ninth film. (laughs) Then you can do a movie about whatever you want. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But it it seems, yeah, the Academy, when those movies kind of get, you know, we saw what happened with La La Land. uh, And there's been a few other pictures that sort of look introspectively into their own industry that usually tend to do well if they're done well. Yeah. 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 And they cut through the noise. Right. I mean, technically, Joker was also about show business. I mean, think about it. Uh, yeah, I guess it was. Stand up comedy, late night talk shows and street performing. Uh, yeah. That was the whole thing. <laughs> and then shot in the head in the end. <laughs> well, it was a shot in the head to the industry. Is that what I think so? I <laughs> Metaphorically think speaking. They, yes. The death of late night comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, speaking of diversity, I am happy. That our Screen Heat Miami exclusive, Gregory Allen Howard. Oh, yeah. He called it. Cynthia Rivo. Best actress in a leading role and... Best song. Yes. Best original song. So very exciting for that picture. It's been doing well at the box office. It's been getting a lot of buzz. And they got the two big Oscars nominations they were looking for. Yeah. And it they're carrying... The whole weight of diversity on their shoulders. Yeah, yeah, because in that actress category, you know, than that, uh, what are we looking at here? Uh, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, another Netflix production. Uh, Cerise Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron, Bombshell. Uh, she's previous nominee, and of course, Renee Zellweger for Judy. Charlize Theron is African. 
She is from South Africa. <laughs> you know, she started as a model in Miami. That was kind of her deal. Yeah. Yeah. She was down here. She was one of you. I remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I do, do you? remember. <laughs> How so? Yeah. <laughs> do you uh, remember? So, yes, even Miami ties to Charlize, but she's, you know, obviously had a spectacular career, doing really well uh, with this film Bombshell. And so, yeah, very, another very interesting category. And uh, supporting actress, we got uh, Kathy Bates. Uh, I thought it was very nice of Adam Sandler. I don't know if you saw, you know, he was snubbed for uncut gems yeah but uh he actually was very gracious about it and he uh i guess in his best water boy voice he thanked mama for getting i did not see (laughs) that was very cute well he's laughing all the way to the bank (laughs) yeah no he's doing well i mean the the film yeah he's he's uh he's fine he did promise though if he didn't get nominated he would make the worst movie in history he did say that i i really would love to see yeah i know because that's gonna i know that movie is gonna be so bad that it's good and you you know netflix would do it oh they're gonna do it in a second (laughs) he's their homeboy (laughs) i I mean they did the feature version of between two ferns so yeah <laughs> he, but he was one of the first people to get one of those big chunky netflix deals he was yeah he's one of those you know i keep saying I, I really think netflix strength really is in the comedy space and really supporting these major comedians like eddie murphy with dolomite obviously yeah. adam sandler uh you know they got chris rock now over there they got you know obviously um you know so many of these guys uh, dave Chappelle. well you saw on saturday night live Eddie Murphy on stage. Yeah. Chris Rock. Dave Chappelle. Right. Himself, of course. Tracy Morgan. Yeah. And I saw a meme saying half of Netflix budget well, actually, on stage. They said that. That was actually part of the monologue. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or half. And Tracy Morgan was like, I made my money on the road. What, doing stand-up comedy? No, I got hit by a truck, <laughs> which is true. He got hit by a he Walmart truck. truck. Oh, yeah. And that was his but, big yeah, but, but, yeah, but he's, he's not saying how much money he got on that. I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> Just here to support my boy Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Great guys. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld also, you know, uh, a big Netflix deal now. So, yeah, it's it seems like and, and they're using that to not only build the comedy buzz, but really the prestige and the cachet because they've got so many nominations as well. And, you know, there's something to that because it is said in the industry that comedy doesn't play so well internationally. That is true. That's been said. But I think it's playing well for Netflix. Oh, yeah. They know their demographics. Yeah. Yeah. No, they do. And I think they realize that. I just think it's perhaps the way these comedies have been marketed in the past. And, you know, the digital medium being very different from theatrical is how how do you market these movies internationally and theatrically versus how do you market it through a streamer? I think they're just two different ways of approaching that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is something that we brought up in terms of the Golden Globes of film that I loved, 1917. Right. And you saw that. I saw it. That's that little masterpiece that just kind of snug in. It certainly is a masterpiece. Yeah. I loved everything about the film. Yeah. And of course, being someone that has worked in front of the camera and now, you know, running a multimedia company, a production company, Mm -hmm. working behind the camera, knowing what goes into making a film like that work. I mean, right. I can only imagine what it took to make that film yeah. pop. Yeah. Impressive. I the mean, actors have to be on their marks mm. with the lines at the time that they needed to be in time with the camera and if anyone has seen the teasers before the movie came out, they had to shoot at an exact time of day 
with the clouds hanging in the exact way. Incredible. So when they were ready to shoot, you had to be ready to shoot right. yeah. immediately. Yeah, and credit obviously to the cinematographer Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins, Oscar winner as well, uh, two-time, I mean, multiple nominees. He got nominated again, obviously, for this film. Uh, Sam Mendes is the director. Comes from a theater background, so really knows how to work with actors. Yeah. So you know, credit to the technical crew and everyone behind the scenes to actually allow for that to happen. Yeah, the visual effects. Another shameless plug. You have to listen to our Dean Lyon. That interview will tell you a little bit more about visual effects and how that works. But the visual effects really come together. Everything in this film comes together. The music. Oh, yeah. And they're nominated for Best Score. They are. So. Yeah. No, just a great film all around. And just just so much competition this year. It's it's hard to choose. But I think that, you know, uh, we're obviously going to be talking about the Oscars. I, I pretty much every week until the Oscars. So I think the last thing we should do before we jump into our uh, next segment is to give our one prediction. Okay. This is what I want to do. We have the official Oscar ballots here with us, the 2020 ballot. Uh, both Kevin and I, JL, are going to fill out our choices. Obviously, you'll know which one's which. We'll put our names on them. And we're going to we're gonna hold ourselves to that. The one we want to do live on mic, I think right now, I would ask to see if we want to say right now, Screen Heat Miami, this episode, who's going to win Best Picture? Okay. You know, you're going to have to go first. All right. So who do we got? The no- and the nominees are... Okay. Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. So. And the winner is... Don't mistake the envelope. Don't pull a Warren Beatty. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to go with Joker. <laughs> I said it. You were laughing, and I said it as you were laughing intentionally. Yeah. The Joker will win the best the picture. The Joker's going to win best picture. I believe that. That's my. I'm, I'm marking it down right now. Can't change my mind. No. There it is. My two choices two. would have been 1917 and Joker. So I'm there with you on Joker, but I'm going to have to go with 1917. Nine, there you heard it. Mark it down. So I'm marking it. Little drama here at SHM. It is drama. There you here. have it, folks. Well, we're going to post our full predictions. Uh, the JL and the Kevin versions, as you see, they obviously don't overlap. <laughs> so you will. Uh, we want you guys to also, uh, all you screen heaters out there, to really uh, let us know your comments. Let us know who you think is going to win. Hit us up on our uh, social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know what you think. Yes. And you can hit us up. Also, where a podcast is available. Yes. Which is Google Play. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Spotify. And SoundCloud. SoundCloud being our main portal. That's right. So tune in and let us know what you think about this really crazy Oscar race for 2020 that's coming quicker than than a shot of cafecito. Yeah. And big shout out to the Golden Globes. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. There you go. So, but anyway, so let's before we jump into it, uh, or do we want to jump into it? No, 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 no. I, well, I, I, I wanted to talk about this Viacom Miramax. Deal. Oh yes, the streaming wars. We have to talk a little bit about our staple topic, the of streaming course. wars, and then we'll we'll jump right into the interview, and then maybe we'll pick it up in the outro. So yeah, what's going on? Yeah. So Viacom purchased a forty nine percent stake in Miramax. 
And if our listeners out there, maybe some of them don't know what Miramax is responsible for, some of the biggest hits of the 80s and 90s, and even into the early 2000s films of films. Sure. A great library of content for sure. Huge library. Very impressive. You know, those are, it was the heyday of that. You know, a lot of what they say A24 is doing now in their own right. Miramax was that company of definitely of the 90s. Yeah. So after our interview, I definitely want to talk about why I think that acquisition happened Mm. and what that library is going to go towards. Ooh, that's a good teaser. Yes. I like it. All right. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger, but in the meantime, please enjoy this amazing interview and journey by two very talented producers and filmmakers, Kevin Chinoy and Francesca Silvestri, and we'll be back on the other side. (laughs) All right, so here we are. We're just testing the NPR microphone. (laughs) We're going to do this really fun style interview. Uh, I am here with Kevin Chinoy and Francesca Silvestri who are two amazingly talented producers who recently have decided to make Miami home. Well, I guess not so recently, right? You've been here for a little while now. Two years? Two and a half years. Okay. And loving it. Oh, yeah, it's a great town, right? It's a great town. But uh, so, so why Miami? Did you have any connection to the city before? So I grew up here. Um, I uh, grew up here, and then my brother lives here with his four kids and in Coral Gables. My sister lives in Coconut Grove with her three kids, and we have uh, Kevin and I are also part. We're partners in business and partners in life, and we have a son, um, and wanted him to grow up with the cousins. We made a movie in Orlando called The Florida Project and thought if we can make it through an Orlando summer, we can make it through a summer anywhere, anytime, and decided let's let's give my a place in our careers, let's try to give Miami a, a chance. So we moved and we love it and we still travel for work and projects, but we that's why we made the move for family oh, wow. and yeah, and after the Florida project. So oh, that's fantastic. It was a it's a beautiful movie, so congratulations on that project. Uh, I know you were at our MMFM conference a couple years ago talking about specifically about the Florida project and what that meant, you know, in terms of your work and uh, working with Sean Baker again, correct? So uh, yes. yeah, so he's he's kind of been a partner of yours in terms of creative and various projects you've done. So Sean, uh, I first met Sean, he was my brother's roommate at NYU Film School uh, when they were teenagers. Um, And so I've known him for a long time. Uh, He and my brother and another partner of theirs, Dan Milano, another college friend of theirs, created a public access show uh, called Junk Tape, which was the first place where uh, the Greg the Bunny character uh, surfaced. Mm. And those three... um, you know, we ended up doing a whole bunch of things with the Greg the Bunny characters. Uh, we set up a television. I came on as a producer, and we set it up at the Independent Film Channel to do a set of movie parodies. The channel was actually trying to find an actor to host a movie night, hmm. and we got word of this. So we put together a tape where Greg the Bunny, this is a, a puppet, a hand puppet character, uh, begged. Uh, we had him do an audition tape where he was begging the channel could he please get to independent film channels so he could get off of public access wow. it was really funny and they loved it and ended up giving us um a show for a couple of years where we hosted a saturday night movie night and did movie parodies that would like open up to whatever the movie was so we'd do a parody of pulp fiction and then introduce pulp fiction or you know 2001 and and so it was 
it was fun. We were all young and in our 20s, and, and the channel gave us $5,000 a week to make the show. So each of the guys <laughs> took $1,500. I got my producer commission, which was 500 bucks, <laughs> and they made the show with hand puppets and cardboard cutouts and practically spent nothing on the show itself right and they you know we did that for a couple years but that started the relationship with sean and then we went on to do a number of tv incarnations and and that's actually i met francesca about that time we started uh producing a couple things related to greg the bunny and then eventually sean had been making films um you know small budget but very great films um, a movie called Four Letter Words that he did right out of college and then he did a movie called Take Out and a movie called Prince of Broadway one right after the other um, you know I think Take Out was made for under 10 grand and Prince of Broadway for about 40 wow and By then way, after that, where where can people see those two films? Because I think those, I mean, yeah. especially Prince of Broadway, is an incredible, incredible. Yeah, they're all support. all of his films are great. He's actually remastering them, and we're working with a company to get the catalog back out there. Um, um, I should find out. I don't yeah. know. I'll follow back up with you and maybe put them in show notes. Yeah, yeah. But, if you send us the info, we'll put it on the if website. If you're a Sean Baker yeah. fan, that's an it's yeah, one of, great it's films. Incredible, yeah. But then we did, made a movie with him called Starlet, which at the time was a bigger budget. We made that for a quarter of a million dollars, which was a lot of money you know, for what right. we were doing. Coming from five grand a week, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was still one of my favorite movies that we've ever been involved with. Um, you know, a fantastic movie starring Dre Hemingway. That was back in 2011. Wow. And so from that, then led to Tangerine and then led to Florida Project. And, you know, we're working with him on um, what's coming up next. So. Okay. Can you share any details or is that still in development? <laughs> it's in development. Um, it's going to center around the opioid epidemic. Oh. And uh, he, Sean has been spending a great deal of time doing research, volunteering um, with nonprofits to support the efforts being done in Vancouver around that. So um, more to come. Um, But in Sean's typical process, he is fully immersed in the world, learning um, uh, the stories and the people and the locations that center and, and the issues that center around what is, you know, obviously a very important topic. And in typical fashion, he'll tell the story in a way that really kind of humanizes everybody involved, which oh, wow. is what I think makes him so genius a yeah. filmmaker. I love how you describe how he is the kind of um, storyteller where he drops into a particular place and then tells stories about the people that live in those places or yeah. communities and that I mean you know people will talk about care you know say oh well that piece is a character study as mm-hmm. if that's somehow an excuse not to tell a story mm-hmm. you know sometimes they'll just and look there's a lot of great films that do delve into like looking at a person and and but Sean's films are always character studies and their location studies but he's also really great about finding some story device that ties everything together and makes it a fully entertaining and and immersive experience so that you've been on a journey with those people but at the same time you get to know their world their topic um his films are very intimate in mm-hmm. that sense yeah. like i, well, I, I still remember from, yeah tangerine was like and without judgment right. i feel like i feel like he approaches subjects well and somebody without, but, Somebody was just, we were just having a conversation with another producer that somebody that they were working with was saying, oh, we want this film to be kind of like the Florida Project, you know, and we were saying, like, 
it, the amount of research that Sean and, and, and his, his creative partner, uh, from a writing perspective, Christopher Bergash, in the past three movies, you know, like on the Florida Project, they spent a great deal of time in Orlando, in those hotels, motels, talking to people, doing the research, getting to know um, the actual people and getting real stories. And so there's just a tremendous amount of research that goes into it. I mean, you know, people will often say, well, wait, is it a documentary? I mean, it's not a documentary in any traditional sense because it's a fictional story, but but it's very true to the people of that particular place and time. Right. Yeah. You can definitely sense that there's kind of this, this, it's very visceral and it just kind of feels like, like, yeah, you get sucked into the world of these very human beings, I guess. Well, I don't know how else to say so it, but yeah. Tangerine, you know, which yeah. was a story about um, trans sex workers in, on, um, in, in Los Angeles. In a very specific. In a very specific neighborhood. There was just a neighborhood. There was the donut time right. on. Highland and Hollywood. Highland, you know, and, and it was there and we all knew about it. And he, you know, spent a lot of time. And, and Maya and Kiki, who are the two stars of the film, were from that neighborhood. And he got to know them by actually talking to them and learning stories and then ultimately worked with them and cast them in the film. And they were both nominated for Spirit Awards, mm-hmm. Maya winning Best Supporting Actress that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, and, and certainly kind of foreshadowed um, the emergence of, of transgender issues as, as an important topic. Mm-hmm. It, it was really right at the forefront of that and, and was just, um, you know, in a lot of ways he was just researching that and kind of interested before it had but know, I think he also wasn't he one of the first. Well, I think she was the first transgender actor to win an award an like award. that. Yes. Yeah. And I think that he was one of the first filmmakers to actually work with yeah. transgender actors in this way, in this kind yeah. of specific story. Yeah. And so, you know, feel a, and yeah. feel a tremendous responsibility. I know Sean feels a tremendous yeah. responsibility that when he's doing these stories that he wants to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um well, for and, and in addition to that, for example, something that he wants to do on the next film is have a portion of the budget dedicated to going back to the community that he's kind of embedded yeah. in at the moment, and and you know, and helping the opioid crisis like that. He wants that as a as a budget item. Oh wow! Because yeah. he's so and and he wants it really. I mean, it's for important. all films going forward, like yeah. well, and and you know, isn't look that, at that a, that's amazing. Yeah, when we yeah. look yeah, at the yeah. Florida project. I mean, we, there were some great organizations, uh, Hope 192 was a big one that was in that area, and we spent considerable time with them working on the affordable housing problem. Right. right. Um, Florida, yeah. You yeah. know, still to this day, we're in touch with them and trying to help them, and, you know, in a very specific local way. I mean, lo- I know we're going to talk about this more, but local community is, is something that's really important. To Francesca and I, and, and certainly important to Sean in terms of, you know, understanding these issues, but looking at how they impact really specific local communities. Yeah. And I think honestly, in general, when you approach any cause, like, you know, everyone says they want to cure world hunger or, you know, there are these big global issues or climate change. But I think you're right. If you can focus in on a specific community and just even affect a handful of people and just kind of replicate that, I think that does more good. No. Yeah. uh, It's so much about what we're about right now. I mean, having moved back to Miami, which is a place that Francesca grew up. I'm from Florida as well. And 
you know, this is home. I mean, this is home. And so it, it's there's a sense of we travel quite a bit and we work in other places, but um, it, we just have a strong feeling of wanting to address issues that are focused. And, and obviously these things are pervasive, things like affordable housing or the opioid crisis affect everywhere. But how can you address it within your own local community? What can you do here and now? Um, to make positive change is incredibly important. Yeah, no, of course, I agree. So uh, you mentioned, Kevin, you're from Florida as well. Which part? So I grew up in Jacksonville. Okay. Right. Uh, we actually met in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That's so fun. <laughs> and you grew enough. up in Miami. I grew up in Miami. And we wow. had a number of friends in common, um, you know, before we met. I got I got a lot of credit with Francesca because the, uh, the producer, Jamin O'Brien, who's a great indie producer himself, who's from Miami, was a good friend of mine, and, and Francesca knew him from high school. So when we were first dating, I got a lot of credit because I was friends with Jamin. Oh, there you go. Because he was kind of a god in high school. Like, oh. Why do you know Jamin O'Brien? The cool guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it was like, oh, my gosh. You know, oh. so, Where did yeah. you go to high school? Uh, I went to Ransom Everglades. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's a great school. It's a great school. Yeah. We were just there last night for an alumni... Christmas party. Christmas party. And right. it was so nice to see. Yeah. Phil Lord went to that school. Yeah. Right? Did. yeah. And I have to say, just a, I have to, a shout out to him. We got, um, we uh, yesterday somebody emailed us that vulture.com just did a an article where they li- they reviewed 5,250 movies of the past, like the decade. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and into said, the Spider Verse. Yeah, and Into the Spider Verse was number nine, like best, like ninth best film of the decade, and Florida Project was number ten. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and I just thought, hey, two ransom Miami alums. I love mm. it. You know, so. this must be something in that Everglades water. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. so, so in high school, did you already, or when you were a kid, did you already know you wanted to be in this industry, or when uh, did that come yeah, about? I think so. My um, my dad lived in Rome, and he was uh, a doctor. For for a lot of the big um, uh, film insurance companies, and so when I would go to visit him, he'd say, "Oh, I have to go on set to, to you know, to, to take care of this person or this director or this actor." And he'd take me, and I thought, "What is this crazy, wonderful, exciting world?" Wow. Um, and then I ended up going to film school, and and I just uh, I just kind of caught the caught the bug and started working on on you know little short films and things like that. But, but wow, that's how I kind of. I was like, what is this? You know. Where'd you go to film school? Uh, I went to USC. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> That's yeah. great. And Kevin, how about you? What, what got you when you were growing up so in Jacksonville? My my father is probably next to Sean Baker is probably the biggest cinephile that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a huge fan of films and, and imparted that on myself and my two younger brothers growing up. Um and my uncle, his brother, was actually a producer, um, did actually the first kind of claymation feature-length film, I Go Pogo, give a shout out to my uncle Mark Chinoy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so, you know, there was an interest in it, but my I had a diversity of interests and, and I was focused on business at first when I came out, of, went to college and went to, went to school. I did not immediately go into the movies, but I always had an interest in it. And I was working as a management consultant in Washington, D.C., but I started taking some continuing education courses in Georgetown and directing, producing. I even did an acting workshop more to kind of understand what they go through and, and I already had known like being in front of the camera was not going to be my thing but um, but I was writing a lot at that time and I ended up going to business school thinking that I would uh, go into 
you know, maybe a more traditional business side of things. I did traditional business internships with Comcast and Universal. Mm. But that summer, in between my years of business school, I did an internship at Miramax back in the heyday. This was in the 90s. And um, it was just for like six weeks. And on the creative side, I was working for the head of production, Paul Webster, at the time in his office. And I just loved it. And I came out of business school and I thought, you know, I'm not going to take a traditional job. I'm going to kind of figure some things out here. And I I worked out a gig where I was working two days a week as a consultant, making enough money to live on. And um, I got connected with with a producer, Gil Holland, who had produced a movie called Hurricane Streets. It was the first film to win three prizes at Sundance. That was back in 96. And long story great short, film. great film, great film, uh-huh. Morgan J. Freeman. Um, and and he was making his next movie, and I decided to jump on and and help him with that. Um, you know, I told him, I said, I'll I'll help you raise money. You can give me make me an associate producer. I'll help you raise money, but you have to give me a job on set. I oh, want to wow. learn. So I worked as a grip electric, um, and then you know we started a company after that. And I just never looked back. I just started making movies, and eventually that got going fast enough. I had to drop the consulting work and just started producing, you know, full time. Wow! Right out of it. So, so right out of the gate, you were just yeah. In that just started. Movie. I mean, I had a Gil was a great partner. I learned a lot from him. Um, we made we had a company we made. It was called Cineblast, based in New York. It was a, a great production company at that time. It was a really exciting time. Hmm. Um, a lot of indie film companies killer films had just started sure. uh james sheamus and ted hope had good machine right around the block right. from us there was a company called the shooting gallery mm-hmm. you know there were all these exciting uh, uh you know sundance was, was in full miramax was yeah. in full bloom right. was not far from our office and you know we made a dozen films over like four years and and went to the festivals and i kind of you know it's fun because still a lot of my colleagues that from back then that we were all kids have all kind of gone into different places ted you know now is you know obviously you know running Amazon um, um, and just a lot of different people so it's just been kind of fun but um, that's how I ended up kind of getting pulled into this thing that's amazing and then you met this guy that had this bunny show yeah (laughs) I mean that was right around the same time we had Cineblast we were were doing uh, those original Greg the Bunny stuff so started working with Sean and and then I met we so yeah I want to go into a little more if you don't mind detail of how that this Florida connection finally came together (laughs) well it's funny because it actually Greg the Bunny is a part of it because we took the characters from the movie channel hosting and developed uh, a sitcom idea, Mm -hmm. right? A half hour comedy that was the behind the scenes of a kid's show and went out to to LA. My brother and his buddies were creative partners on it. We went out to Los Angeles and pitched it. I was a producer on it and we sold it. Uh, Actually, uh, Steve Levitan, who ultimately went on to Modern Family fame, Mm -hmm. you know, it came on as a creative partner. And we, I remember we sold it, it it sold to Fox, it was right after Thanksgiving, and I got a call from my brother's agent being like, you guys just sold, you guys just sold, you gotta get out to LA, so. It was Neil Moritz and. Well, it was Neil Moritz, right, Neil. The Fast and the Furious. Sure. So he was on as an. Just normal people in the industry. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, it's funny, it's a a, a separate aside, so we, he's the, Neil was the first person that we pitched. We're in this big boardroom, all these executives of his and, and the group of us sitting behind a table, and Neil, we give the pitch, and Neil 
says, all right, I want you to cancel every other meeting. What is it going to take to get you guys to just go with me and not do anything else? And unbeknownst to him, Dan Milano, who did the voice of, of all the puppets, had Greg on his on his arm underneath the table. And he popped him up and goes, okay, Neil, how much money you got? Wow. And it was one of the, you know, <laughs> it was really funny. And so we laughed and the agents was like, that's great, Neil, you're excited, but we're going to go take these other meetings. And we literally took like 25 meetings in five days and still ended up going back to Neil. Jeez. Neil ended up bringing on Steve. But so we... Um, we went out for meetings with with uh, uh, Fox like at the end of, of the year 2000 and thinking we were just going for a meeting or two and we were out there for like a week and a half and I looked at my brother and his buddies and I said, we live in LA now, like we gotta go back, close up shop, get back out here and, and, and start this show. And, wow. and we, we left, you know, we went back, literally moved on like January 2nd had no apartment, no cars, nothing. And we started writing the show. And within six weeks, by the middle of February, we were shooting. We had cast. We were shooting. With Eugene Levy and Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman, Seth Green. Amazing. And it, oh was, yeah. it was kind of insane. And we went from $5,000 a week mm. per episode to over a million dollars per episode. Wow. Like walking onto a soundstage and it was like, oh my God. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood, what's <laughs> happening? Exactly. You know. But my first day landing in L.A., we landed in L.A. We were sleeping on somebody's couch. It's a friend of ours, Caroline Kaplan from the Independent Film Channel, was having a party at uh, the Chateau Marmont, kind of very kind of cliche Hollywood. But she had had a suite in the in the hotel and was inviting some friends over for an impromptu party. And I went and Francesca and I met. Wow. And she was a my very first day man. in L.A. Yeah. Your so, first day. In, so it was meant yeah. to be meant, to, meant be. to be. And in fact, six months into into our relationship, I remember saying, pull the car over. And he said, why? And I said, are you sure that you want to like that you want to be with me? Because I realized you don't know anyone here. Like you, you <laughs> literally got here. We met. We've been together ever since. And now it's going on 20 years. Wow. So I guess, um, you know, there's some. So you met everyone together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and she met me at that time where yeah, we were just funny. it was insane. I mean, yeah. we were just like full on making this show. It was kind of an insane experience and for, then we started, for like a year. And then we started working together immediately. First on some nonprofit stuff. And I was um, <clears throat> I was running I uh, the film and television division of a big um, commercial production company and we represented a lot of top feature film directors um, for for commercials. And so and, and actually I think you did did is that when we started working with Sean at Moxie? No. Uh, I don't think he did. He ever. He never did anything. With no, he didn't. No, it was, no, it was, it was Spencer. Oh, it was Spencer. My brother. Right. Okay, right, yeah, right, right. And Spencer. Brother. No, I thought maybe all of them were doing something with us at that time. Well, we but. did some. We did some of the Greg the Bunny stuff through Moxie back oh, right. in 04, the independent okay. film channel. Okay. So after the Fox show ended. Um, because we had had the Fox show lasted a season we got it on the air it lasted a season ratings were I mean today they'd probably love those ratings but at the time it wasn't enough to kind of propel it and and so it, it ended but because we had had a previous existence with the characters we were able to keep the rights to the characters and we went on to do other shows with them oh wow we did more parodies at the independent film channel and eventually we did a spinoff at MTV huh 
That's very interesting. Um, and then Kevin and I created a program for Glamour Magazine in 2004. Well, I was going to say before that, we should talk about the plays. Okay. Oh, so you did plays. Well, so, so, and I always say this, like to anybody that's listening and is interested in kind of how to get ahead as within the industry, mm. we have done a lot of things for charities, for nonprofits, or simply programs that are for the benefit of other groups. Mm. And I can't stress enough how much we find meaning in them and because of what they're accomplishing, but also that they have had significant impact on us professionally. And the first thing were something called the 24-hour plays. So when I first started, back when I was a consultant, and I started the production company, I also started a nonprofit with some friends that was all about catalyzing new ideas. Mm. It's called Planet Impact, and it was just about catalyzing new benefit events, new nonprofits. Um, and we, these friends of ours were doing this event called the 24-Hour Plays, and it was off-off-Broadway at 45 Bleecker Street, and you would get 24 actors six writers and six directors together with some producers and typically on a Sunday night they would gather at 10, 10 p.m. and everybody would in, sit in a circle and introduce themselves and actors would talk about special uh, uh, talents they had or things that they wanted to try on stage and everybody brought a prop and a costume you know it might be a rubber chicken and a chef's apron it could be some funny gorilla outfit and they'd throw them on the middle and then everybody would leave except the writers and they'd pick four actors each so six writers each picking four actors and they would stay up all night and write a play a 10-page play for those actors to perform the actors and the directors would come back in the morning and then they would find out this is what we're going to do. They rehearse that day, and then they'd perform it in front of an audience that night and be done. Wow! One time, twenty-four hours, the whole thing is done. And so I said, "Why don't we do this as a benefit event?" They were kind of thinking about the idea at the time, and I was like, "This is what our organization's about. Like, let's figure this out. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we got people at the top of their game, like top writers, top directors, because top right, actors, right, right. to do this as a benefit yeah. event? You just need them for a day." Huh. Because initially when the program, because when uh, the 24-hour plays um, was created, it was an opportunity to give actors a chance to write, directors a chance to, to act, you know, to kind of mix it up. And so it was Kevin's idea. And he said, what if they, what if people working at the top of their profession plugged into this exercise? What would the work look like? What would it be? And what a fun experience. It could so, be a benefit. Yeah, sure. Our, 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 and it was a brilliant idea. The creator yeah. of the idea, Tina Fallon, who is to this day a dear friend. So Tina and her partners, Lindsay Bowen and Kurt Gardner. Amazing people. We teamed up with those three and said, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And so this was in the spring of 2001. Hmm. We planned it for nine months for a lower Manhattan theater to air on September 24th, 2001. Oh, so think about that timing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So Francesca and I were in LA when 9-11 happened. Wow. Getting ready to come back to New York for the shows. Hmm. And September 12th, we actually had a conference call scheduled, <clears throat> a planning call. So we all got on the phone 
as a way to connect because it was at time the cell towers were having problems. Even at that point, it really was difficult to get in touch with anybody. Yeah. And so we all got on the phone, talked about it. What do we do? And everybody said, you know, we want to try this. Let's move forward with it. You know, we'll be one of we're, we're benefiting schools down in lower Manhattan. They're really going to need the money now in these programs. So let's figure this out. So we were one of the first people on those planes flying back to New York. We flew wow. back. And because we were one of the first events to go forward after 9-11, the outpouring of people wanting to participate went through the roof. Wow. We were already, um, <clears throat> Billy Crudup, who's a dear friend of mine, and Marissa Tomei, who was a dear friend of Francesca's, um, uh, were already on board to help. But then through their support, it, the list just went through the roof. It was basically like every fantastic New York actor from Julian Moore, Scarlett Johansson, who was a teenager skipping school at the time, <laughs> right. Liev Schreiber, Sam Rockwell, Philip Seymour Hoffman, wow. like the list was crazy. And it was Amazing Tony Award winning writers yeah. and, and directors. directors and um, it was just insane. And it, we were kids. We were 30 years old. We'd never produced theater before. And all of a sudden this happens. Yeah. And it was ended up being um, one of the most meaningful experiences of our life. I mean, it was an incredible night because of what it meant. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Gregory Mosher, who's uh, uh, David Mamet's producer, who was one of the directors for us that night, said it was one of the greatest nights of American theater. I mean, it was just, it gives me chills even thinking about it because it was just so poignant. Everybody in New York coming to support it. You know, we all went out afterward. It was just one of those seminal moments. And, you know, all of us had ties to New York. So there was just a lot of emotion for that reason. And then, you know, from that, we ended up doing it again. And again, we ended up repeating it um, two years after that show. We did it the next year in the same theater. Then we went to Broadway. And, and for we, an amazing organization. Please. For this organization called Urban Arts uh, Partnership. Fantastic organization to this mm. day. Just one of the best nonprofits in the country, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, specifically about um, supporting the arts in the public schools and, and integrating them into the way that education is done. A mm. Philip Courtney, who's the executive director of that program, is and Rosie phenomenal. Perez is, is, Rosie Perez is yeah. the spokesperson yeah. for that organization, has been and is incredibly important to this day to us and to that group. Um, but we did it for 15 years. We actually only really? stopped when we moved to Miami because we were like, we and need a break. And from Lane, it became such a big thing that we had to move it to Broadway. Wow. So we ended up doing it yeah, on Broadway for, for many years, years and, and ended up being a, a really important part of our life. And this yeah. was a long way to come back to what happened from that is Glamour Magazine was a sponsor for us, hmm. and they asked, would we do other programs with them, right. including launching a program that supported women filmmakers? This was back in no, 04. They, no, well, they, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. You tell no, that. No. You know, you tell I was going to say, they said, uh, we'd like to create a program, and we'd like to connect to Hollywood. Um, and right. so we said, look, your brand is all about empowering women. Hmm. Why not create a program if you know where we can give women an opportunity to, to, to to, to direct. Right. Uh, this was back in 04. Right. This we, is even before the last couple of years where that's been such a hot button. Yes. Yeah. This, right. this is 2004. And they said, okay. And so, um, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow. The first year, yeah. we got, Gwyneth did it, yeah. Trudy Styler, Rosario Dawson. Yeah. So it was a good start. And then the, the year after they did it again, the year after that, Jennifer Aniston came on and did it, wow. which was a big stamp of approval. Right. Once Jen did it, then it was kind of like... Oh, the floodgates. This, yeah. Well, and it was almost like these guys are, are, are um, 
safe, right. you know, in a sense, like, and not just for the people, but so for that the managers and the agents and the publicists felt like they, people would be taken care of and they'd have a good experience. And from that, we went on and made 20 of those shorts wow. over like a six year period of and time. With, and they were all directorial debuts with these women. Um, and it was, you know, Amazing. Was some really, really big, great work. A big part of what helped launch us, sure, you know, yeah. to, to establish a reputation within the industry. Um, you know, and again, not just with talent, but with with the managers and the agents and, and, and other people that are an important part of, you know, being able to be successful, that people know yeah. that you're serious and that you'll take care of their. I remember a little bit. I think Kate Hudson did yeah. one, right? It was called One's Cutlass. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing short. We, people we, should we, look we, at it like Google yeah. it. Google Kate Hudson Cutlass because it's, it's out there so and it's so yeah. fun. I mean, one of the best things we've ever done. And Dakota Fanning, who I'll never forget, Dakota Fanning was uh, 13 because at the end of the shoot, she, she sent us, um, she hand uh, wrote a thank you note and it said, you know, thank you so much. I had the best time, blah, blah, blah. Love Dakota Fanning, 13. Age 13. Age 13. Age 13. <laughs> <laughs> Time-stamped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and wow. Kate is one of the best directors we've still ever yeah. worked with. Like we're we, still we keep, we, st- we still feature. keep trying to rope yeah. around to making features. We're, so we're Kate, if you're listening. Her, yeah. Her feature debut. I remember because I think it was 08. I was working for the Miami Film Festival, their 25th anniversary. Yes, that's right. And it was there. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and we that's had um, right. And it just so happened that that year we had Demi Moore that had yeah, done something. That's right. She yeah. had. She did one. Yeah. One of the shorts that we. Same program. Same program. Right. She was in one of your shorts yeah. as well. She directed, uh, she directed yeah. one of your yeah. shorts as well. And then Helen Hunt had her directorial debut That's that right. year, which was Then She Found Me. Right. Uh, it That's was, right. I think it was a rom-com. That's right. Uh, That's but right. yeah, it was an interesting year. But like you said, you're almost like precursors to this whole movement now because, yeah. you know, they just recently announced in the Golden Globes that there were no female directors. Right. When you had, you know, choices like, you know, Lulu Wang, who also grew up in Miami. Right. And so many amazing right. female directors this year, unfortunately, did not get the nod. Uh, and so... You know, it seems like it's just been an ongoing. Olivia Wilde with Booksmart, who we also uh, did our program. So Olivia made her yes, she also made her directorial debut through the it was almost like through the Glamour Project, and then went on to make Booksmart, which I loved, which was uh, yeah. Did she? She didn't get nominated, did she? Well, she's nominated for a Spirit for Best First Feature, and I hope she wins. Right. She's also super talented. Super talented. We've been lucky, and Demi, Demi, we actually got to work with her on a couple things. Super talented. Would love to see her do more too. Yeah. What do you think is holding some of these film? I mean, some of these artists back in terms of get, taking that leap to the features. I think the uh, the white men in Hollywood, the, <laughs> the studios. I think it's some of it's look in, yeah. in right. true some of it's time. I mean, it's funny. Like we've worked with Bryce Dallas Howard, who's <gasps> we've worked with a ton. She actually just directed one of the episodes on the new. Um, Star Wars series. And she has a doc out. She has a doc out. Yeah, but we've talked a lot that. about her. We brought stuff to her as a feature. But, you know, sometimes it's about material. Right. It's right. finding the right thing to do. And mm. it's a big step. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a big, big it's a step. Big, you know, it's a big time commitment when they also have these other full-fledged careers that are occupying yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you take somebody like that out of the workforce for a year, it's a lot. 
No, you're right. For an actor like, that's yeah. a working actor, it's it's yeah. very difficult, even for their agents and managers, saying, look, you're going to give up so much right. yeah. just to dedicate your life to this film. And so yeah. I, I can imagine it's I challenging. I mean, Jen, you know, Jennifer Aniston, one of the best, I think, shorts. Sure. And she's super, super talented as a director. And I hope that she, you know, does something. I bet she'll end up directing some of the morning show episodes, which she also produces. I'm sure she I mean, will, she's yeah. She's super talented. I think, again, just waiting for the right she, material. She did yeah. a short film with Robin Wright Penn and Chris Christopherson that is just phenomenal amazing piece of work phenomenal Room 10 yeah Yeah. super talented but in terms of your feature films, cause yeah. I want to, yeah. uh, you know, get a little bit more into the process. We can talk a little sure. bit about Tangerine, but then definitely the Florida project, yeah. since there is that that Florida connection. Um, you know, I thought one of the interesting things about Tangerine is that it was shot mostly on a cell phone. Is that correct? Yes. What was that like? So it's interesting. So we were in the process of trying to raise the money for another script that Sean has written. Um, about the Russian mob in Brighton Beach in New York, which is a fantastic fantastic screenplay and we were trying to raise five million dollars for that budget um and it wasn't getting traction because we'd done starlet but sean wasn't hadn't yet gotten to the place that he is now where he could get that kind of money more easily and we were trying to cast and it wasn't working and um he came to us and said you know i've been we've been talking about this movie on on the streets of Hollywood and I want to go make this movie and I want to shoot it on the iPhone. I want It's going to be the first movie that's been done this way. It's important to do it because we want to be in that environment without being intrusive. It was a way to shoot it. Um, we've even talked about for the new movie about the opioid epidemic doing that. I don't think we will. I think it'll shoot on film but, but we talked about it because it is there's advantages to shooting that way. Mm. So ultimately I was like, you know, look, you can go make a movie for a hundred grand. You're going to be broke for two years more. Are you okay with that? You know? And he was like, I, I, I got to do this. I got to go make the next movie. And so we were like, we're all supportive. And we went and, um, did tests where we took the phone and shot footage and then through a connection of ours, this great guy, Mike Rizzuto at Technicolor and in, in LA at the Paramount, lot let us go over Mike's we've known him forever and he's a huge supporter of us and 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 let us come over and kind of screen the footage on a big screen and it was wild to see it like this looks amazing like Mm. it kind of looked really cool he had shot some footage and done some filtering on it and so okay let's do this it took a lot of experimentation with the company's filmic pro and this company moondog that did anamorphic lenses for it i mean this was back on the iphone 5 wow so you know it's not at the level that it was that it is today sure and I but, think it was the first the first full feature right shot on on the yeah. iphone well it's funny so so um our regular collaborators um you know we sean there's a whole group of people that we regularly work with with sean um we all came together and 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 you know making movies at that budget level is really hard yeah um, it can be really, you know, challenging and calling in lots of favors and, um, you know, a lot of hard work. Uh, Darren Dean and, and Shi Chang, who are uh, uh, both producers that we work with, were really hands on the boots on the ground and, and, and did a lot of hard work on that movie. And ultimately, um, 
you know, inerrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So start with Sundance. It got accepted. You know, the, ultimately the movie got accepted to Sundance. Um, we premiered at the Park City Library, which is one of my favorite venues there. And um, it was so funny. I'll never forget because nobody knew that it was done on the iPhone. So the movie screens... And he goes up for the Q&A, and this was all set up, and, and the moderator said, you know, Sean has something that he wants to tell you guys. And he's like, he said, well, we, you know, we had an innovative way we wanted to do this and kind of explain. And then he said, well, you know, and then, you know, we shot it on this thing. And he pulled out the phone out of his pocket and raised it to the audience. And I wow. wish I'd been recording it I because know, I wish. the audible gas what a was moment. hilarious. Right. It was I like... <gasps> Oh my God, like what? I mean, it was so funny. Say what? It was so funny. You know, it was so funny. Yeah, because the film looks great. It looks amazing. You would have never... So Radium Radium Chung, Radium Chung, who's his DP and had been, you know, regular collaborator on these things, you know, an important part of it is a fantastic DP. I mean, I remember doing things like using a mop handle as like a crane. Wow. You know, it's like you could do so many interesting and cool things. Yeah. Um, You know, it does. It looks, I think it looks great. And, uh, you know, Sean is, Sean's an incredibly talented filmmaker. I, you know, his his process is very interesting. You could talk, you could do almost an entire podcast on that alone, you know. So switching over the the process to, you know, getting into the Florida project now. How did that idea come about? Were you already living in Miami at the time when you were developing it? No. No, so so Chris Bergash, who is uh, a... co-writer and uh, frequent collaborator. Um, his mother lived down the street from uh, a lot of these motels. And Chris, I think, started visiting her, and she told him about these motels and the people that live in these motels. There was a, there was a, there was a news... There was um, a news piece. ...piece at one point that he saw, and then he started... As he was driving through the streets, he started he noticing these kids. kids crossing these huge highways and running back around, running around. I mean, it's, you know... School buses picking up kids from these motels, yeah, you know, right, and right. started and was talking to Sean about Seven it for, for quite Lane. some yeah. time. I mean, right. for quite a long time, going back before probably Starlet had been talking about it forever, so... They started taking trips there. So our... our Again, dear friend Caroline Kaplan from the Independent That's Film right. Channel, who introduced us. I go back to that story mm-hmm. where we were met in her hotel room in L.A. She now there's works an for, angel theme here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm noticing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. She works for an organization called Cinereach, and um, they are a fantastic a organization, nonprofit, nonprofit okay. that supports filmmakers like Sean and others by through grants and sometimes financing films. And um, they gave us a grant so that we would have the money to go do research trips and and do it. So Sean and Chris spent a great deal of time in the motels. We took a couple scouting trips um, ahead of time and um, put enough information together to kind of have a sense of what we were going to do. And then about six months before we were going to shoot... Um, the team at ICM, his agency introduced us to someone who'd been a former agent there, um, Alex Sachs, who's a great producer in her own right, but at the time she was running a company called June Pictures um, that had the money to finance, and they wanted to finance the film to their credit without any script. Oh, wow. They just knew that they wanted to be in business with Sean. <clears throat> we went and kind of had a sense of, we'd worked up a budget, you know, based on 
some assumptions about what we wanted to try to do. And they came on board and we worked together over a six month period of time to kind of refine it. Sean ultimately did finish writing the script um, right. pretty much like the day before we started shooting. Wow. But he had, you know, he has a very detailed treatment. He knew like what locations we were going to shoot in, what he needed to get in each scene. And workshopping with the actors. Work- He's also, he also edits his own films. Right. So, the, you know, that. It, it supports the he process. He needs, yeah. Um, huh. You know, and so we all eventually moved to Kissimmee. We all got condos in one area. Huh. And we, Francesca and I, moved there with our son, who was going to be in the movie at one point. Really? Sean asked him. Sean's known him for since he was a baby. And he had our son Giacomo grow out his hair for six months. And it had a whole storyline <laughs> for him. And Cubby. Cubby, he was going to be like a pig pen type character. Oh, wow. Like no shirt and torn camo shorts and socks and sandals. Broken arms. He was going to start the movie off with one cast on one arm, and by the end of the movie, he was going to have casts on both arms. Got fitted for the cast, but, you know, as the movie process, we we understand, we would show up. He didn't make the cut. He didn't make the cut. A couple of scenes in the background. He's he's in the background (laughs) on on uh, on one of the scenes. Kevin, you're in the movie. I'm I'm actually. Are you? I am. I have to go back and watch it. Yeah. I'm I'm one of the people buying perfume from uh, Haley and Mooney in the parking lot of the hotel. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Huh. What, what a discovery, Brooklyn Prince. I mean. Oh like, my gosh. Isn't Brilliant. Just, yeah. Yeah. And Bria. I mean, yeah. Bria, Bria also incredible yeah. from Instagram. You know that whole story. Right. We found her off of Instagram. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Just so natural and oh, just so wonderful. believable. It was yeah. just. It was a great performance. And how did you? Uh, how did you get Willem Dafoe in, involved? So Willem, um, obviously a fantastic, amazing right. actor who loves working with filmmakers like Sean. Yeah. You know, he's just, he's had the blessing to get to work with, obviously, a lot of incredible filmmakers. So Willem's manager, uh, Frank Frederoli, is a longtime supporter of ours, has known Francesca since her first movie at, what, 20 to... 20, 21 or something, 22, yeah. has known us forever. And um, we were looking for the right character for that part. And I know Willem was really interested in working with Sean, and Sean was obviously interested in working with him. And it was funny because we um, we had Sean fly up to New York to go to dinner with Willem uh, while we were in prep. Actually, we went. He flew up to New York, went up, had dinner with him. Hmm. Just you know, they connected on a very you know personal level, and 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 he came on board to do it. You know, wow. understood Sean's process, which, you know, for an actor like Willem is difficult. I mean, Willem likes is the kind of person who fully prepares and immerses himself in what he's doing. He came to set days before he was actually going to work so he could spend time in the environment getting to learn it. And then, of course, with Sean's process, we're changing all the time. So from one day to the next, we might show up on set and, and, and change what we're doing, which is difficult for someone like Willem. And he was but, incredible. Right. And he was also, I think, so gracious uh, and and wonderful with Bria, who had never acted before, uh, Brooklyn, who had you know some experience, but 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 yeah. was not as super seasoned, and also uh, there, Sean cast some kids from the, from the motels. So he was working with so many different types of. First time, from the, first yeah, time. most professional to the non-actors, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and he was um, incredible. Yeah. So he and. Knock on wood, he's very likely to be in the next movie. I mean, right. I think yeah. that, you know, already having those conversations and, 
and expecting that that you know the, the partnership between Sean and Willem will continue. Oh, that's great to yeah. hear. Yeah. yeah, that'd be fantastic to see them work together. Yeah, yeah for sure. I wow, mean, Willem is honestly certainly a career highlight for us. Yeah, you know. To, to to get to work with him. Yeah, no, that's a great. And obviously, the, you know, the film itself had a great run. It, it was picked up by A twenty four. Yeah, no? correct. What a company! My yeah, they've done. They're like the new Miramax. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, exactly. And, no, a, a super talented team over there. They really know. They have great taste, and they know what to do with movies when they get them. Right. Um, we we consider ourselves fortunate. I mean, yeah. we got you know a really fun experience of taking that movie to Cannes where it premiered. That was so. Exciting. That was yeah. another career highlight. Yeah. And and when we were there is when we actually cemented the relationship with them. Yeah. That's great. They're they're amazing. Yeah, this yeah. seems like a really interesting team. Very creative. Yes. Very open to ideas. Yes. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just circumstantial. They tend to. They've done a lot of projects from Florida. I mean, they did Moonlight. They did yeah, you guys. Right. Uh, they they just did another one called Waves that's coming out, oh, which really? is a Florida. Florida, uh, South Florida project as well. Uh, the Farewell, which I mentioned Lulu Wang, who grew yes. up in Miami. Uh, so for whatever reason, there seems to be... I'd love to ask them that yeah. directly. Well, it's, I'll tell you, there's a great... As we've been here, there are... There's a really great and thriving movie industry here, you know, which is, we were talking a little bit before we started the podcast about the tax incentive problems. Right. This is act three. We're going to focus in on the current situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, like you know, it's interesting because it's the Borscht guys who we really fans of theirs, Harmony Corinne, who lives here, who's a friend of ours, who we think is just uber talented. Um, there's just, you know, we talked about Phil Lord and David Frankel and just a lot of people that are either, you know, maybe not living here now, but are from here. Barry Jenkins, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. there's just it, it's a lot of creativity and a lot of interesting stuff. We're working on a, a project right now by a filmmaker, Steve Brill, who's from Miami. It's a, an adaptation of Huckleberry Finn, which is one of my favorite scripts I've read in a long time. Wow. Set really in Florida excited. and hopefully we won't have to go shoot it somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So, Up through the canal. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, great, great project. So just a lot of lot of interesting talent were another reason why we're thrilled to be here. And we have actually there's and then Luisa's project shoots here. And then right, we're there's an Everglades pro I mean there's a sorry, a Keys project. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of things. Yeah, because I, filmmakers want to work here. They do, yeah. And like yeah. I said, you know, it, we're just in a little bit, from a production standpoint right. at least, in a, a bit of an unfortunate situation where we don't have the robust incentives that Georgia has yeah. and a few of the other states. But, you know, it, I think that also, like you said, at the same time, for whatever reason, our local creative talent has just risen yeah. so yeah. to the point that now they're being recognized nationally, internationally, yeah. winning Oscars. You know, Phil Lord just won his, yeah. obviously what Moonlight did. Yeah. And it's just, you know, what you've been able to do with the Florida Project. Uh, so what could we do now? Like, is there a way forward even without the incentives or is it something that we just need to keep fighting for it? Well, I, I look, I think... It's a tough question, I know. Yeah, the, the, there's, all, there's some unique qualities to Florida that you're not going to imitate in other places, right? So to some degree, you know, if there's stories that are based here, they're going to shoot here. But, but there's a financial impediment to it, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, to this point, like we talk about, you know, a movie that's set in Florida that might shoot in other places to cheat Florida because you're going to get money back. I mean, you know, right. at, at, this is where the art meets business. Right. Right. And so there's financial reasons why you're not going to turn that money away. And, and a part of the problem, too, is that the fact that because 
there isn't that much business here. Crews have left. Right. right. So the crews are now gone one. and in Georgia and there's not the same base that there was before. And that becomes a bit of the problem, too. And so, you know, it's interesting that I, I, I a lot of the incentives are really done in a way that gives away too much. I do think there's reasons to be critical of some of them. But I think that in the same way that we look at economic programs to incentivize other industries to come, mm. that there's responsible ways of doing it such that it doesn't have to be even matching like what a Georgia or a New or like a Louisiana does. If it even goes half of that distance, but still does it in a way that's supportive of Florida, it just helps the economic argument enough that you can say, okay, now it's close enough that let's do this in Florida. We don't, it's not such a giveaway to have that we can make it work. Right. You know, and I think there's some common ground and I'm telling you, I think it could explode here because we see so much material yeah. Yeah. of stuff that would shoot here. Yes. I mean, yeah. Ballers is a great example. What a shame that that show had to leave or yes. burn notice or, right. you know, all of these other shows that, that could shoot here. Yeah. And, and it affects the whole industry. I mean, just, uh, you mentioned, ballers but we're we're at chemicals headquarters anderson financial was shot here this was the set. Really? Yeah. And oh, wow. so, you know, so a good friend, Leah Sakalowski, the uh, the location manager uh-huh. that brought it to us, uh, to Patty, my partner, Patty Arias. And they just couldn't find a location for that. And they just kind of took over the space here. And it was, you know, it's HBO money. Yeah. And it ended up sponsoring an entire year of our conference. Right. Yeah. right. Because yeah. it was it was fantastic. And they mm-hmm. came here and they only shot for like four days, but they had it on hold for a month. <laughs> but it was just the you see the, the, the collateral effect of having that industry right. here. I, I do think. A part of this comes from the divide between the right and the left, and and for unfortunate reasons, um, you know, the the entertainment industry has been viewed as you know as a part of that political divide for reasons that I, I fully understand. But it's a shame that right. again we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And I think you see some of that movement in the politics in Florida, like people on the right are promoting incentive bills that are coming in and, and hopefully over time there can be some common ground to find yeah. um, something that isn't that isn't just a handout. I mean that I think can actually be done in a way that really can build an industry that'll bring jobs and bring money into the into the state. And also I think, you know, the University of Miami has a strong film program and I think the University of Florida, I think that there there is a lot of talent here to be um, FSU full yes, sale. Exactly. I mean there's Yeah, I mean FSU is yeah. a top 10 film school. Yeah. Ringling yeah. Brothers, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ringling, sorry, Ringling yeah. College yeah. is so another big one. It would be great to um, we, we do nurture, a lot. cultivate yeah. that talent and then allow them to make stories in their backyard, you know, and, and, right. and we uh, do a lot with the University of Miami. We do love yeah. those guys and try to support them. And, yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, when you're starting at that level and obviously you've been through it, obviously, I'm sure you probably don't want to go back to it. Like, you know, when you make movies for 100K or 50K or 250K, you know, they're not as incentive driven, obviously, no. as, you know, when you're getting into the, you know, millions. Well, but let me tell you. So it's interesting. So the last movie that we did is a movie called Lorelei that shot in Portland, Oregon. It's it's under a million dollars. It's a first time filmmaker. Female. Amazing. Oh, wow. Great. Yes. Sabrina Wonderful. Doyle, fantastic filmmaker. We're excited about her career. If we I came graduate. on to that movie. We 
took no fee on that movie. Hmm. Like we came on because we they got in touch with us with a mutual friend. It wasn't long after Florida Project. It wasn't something we really were thinking we were going to do. But over time, we we liked the pitch book. We liked her short films. We liked the script. Ultimately, we liked them, and we ended up doing this movie. And um, that movie benefited from an incentive in Oregon. Right. It was a part of what was yes. able to make it work. There oh, was really? A small incentive in Oregon. Right. Not even small. I mean, it was it was thirty uh, percent. I mean, it was a good incentive, and it wow. made a big difference. Um, you know, ultimately, the money that we got back from the incentive is what is paying for post. There you go. And it is, which is a which is a model that we're now looking at. There's another filmmaker that that we're really really interested in, Nick Tomney, who was a Sundance filmmaker. He wrote a script about the Keys, which is great. But there's another movie that we're going to do first. And same thing. It's a small film. We're raising a little bit of money. We're going to use an incentive in another place to, right. to um, pay for post for the movie. You know, so it doesn't have to be a lot. It's just a little to make something. A big difference, right? You no, know? You're, you're totally right, and I think that there's a, like I said, a very conservative way to do it that would be just enough coupled with our obviously our locations and yes. our create our natural creative talent here yes. um, you know that I can think you said we can go right back up to the top yeah very quickly definitely yeah definitely yeah I mean look I'm a, I'm a, a business and numbers nerd like there, but there's there's a way to do this. I'm not speaking just purely as a creative person saying, "Come and do this for the good of the creative." Okay, right. great, yes, but there's numbers there to make it make sense. Yeah. Like you can structure these things in a way that makes sure that the money stays in Florida. You know, certain percentages of the money spent in Florida, right? Cruise below, yeah. below the line. And, right. There's and ways. And of honestly, doing it. I really feel like I see so much talent here, and I see it's such a melting pot, and there. The, the international I mean I, I just think that again um, that if there was an incentive there's so much talent that would create more work to, to feed it and to stay here and to yeah and, sure you and you see just, it just blow up yeah, it's almost blowing I, I really up without think, it that's yeah, a thing it's exactly, so weird right exactly like you know it's just yes. on the cusp yeah. like something a little of something yeah. would probably and, go a really and I do way. think it's a big deal that the, the that the Borscht Film Festival has their first film that's going to you know that, yeah. that's accepted to Sundance I mean I do think that that that's an important thing. Yeah, having you their know? first feature in Sundance is is, is a big step, yeah. you know, in that direction because, you know, they just started as high school kids from New World Ex- that were right. just showing films in backyards. Right, here, exactly. Right. And so, so, yeah. So, you know, and it's funny because obviously you're in the community and, and I think that, you, you know, you are and you could be amazing mentors to some of these young filmmakers that are coming up trying to figure it out. So what kind of local programs could you do? What How could you maybe we create something for the community? I, I thought that play idea was great. What do we... Would you consider ever doing that in Miami? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's, um, we had even talked about it before at one point, Mm -hmm. I think. And, and actually, it's funny, Gloria Stefan came up to New York yes. and did it with us. Several in, times. Really? In yes, New York. and she was awesome. Um, so we should she probably just talk to Gloria about yeah. it. We should. We should talk to Gloria and Emilio and see yeah. and Frank. That'd be great, because their son, Naive, runs the Night Owl Theater, which moved venues now. Actually, they're in Hialeah, my hometown. Um, because they but, were in the yeah. design district. They were, yes. Okay, yeah, so I they know. moved. They did a pop-up for the Borscht Film Festival. It was called the Firebird in downtown. Okay. But I think now he has something with a theater in Hialeah, but yeah, he went to film school at the University of Miami around the same time so maybe there's a connection I mean there's also we uh, should meet we should talk with yeah 
yeah. and even in the Latin world, like you know, I mentioned Gloria. You know, you have Mario Ernesto Sanchez who has Teatro Avante, which is a beautiful program. I've worked with him on the film Nochebuena. Mm-hmm. He's one of the top character actors in Florida. Uh, Adriana Barazza, the Oscar-nominated mm-hmm. actor from yeah. you know Babel, uh, she has her own acting studio here. They do a bunch of really cool stuff. So maybe there's a way to put. We're yeah. we're and I, I mentioned this to you before we started too was we're initiating something that we call the Gather Project, which is our effort to look at what can we do to initiate uh, local access to global knowledge, like global experts, right? What can we do in a place like this that would bring in, you know, people into the community? There's a thirst for um, discussion, for uh, exposure to things. And, and, you know, as we said before, like local community is incredibly important to us. And so we've, it's just kind of an internal thing right now, but it's, we call it the gather project and we're, you know, building toward looking to produce programs that would, that would um, make a difference here. Wow. You know, kind of an effort of, so we continue to spend time thinking about that of what's the best way to to initiate that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you, you definitely, you have all the tools, it's just a matter of organizing in a way that's Correct. gonna be most beneficial. So yeah. obviously, anything that we can do to help, right, sure. uh, whether yeah. it's the conference or you know, even maybe this podcast could be the launch of something, you never right. know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be great. And so that that's a perfect segue. We have a, a sort of a, a marquee way that we end every podcast. And it's a two-part question, I'll ask each of you, you can give you obviously your own answers. And so the first part is, if you had a time travel machine, if it was back to the future, and you can go, I'll start with you, Francesca, to a Francesca at Ransom Everglades. Knowing what you know now, if you were able to talk to your teenage self, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, to get active in the sense that um, who do, uh, who's doing something that I want to do? Go to the Miami, go to the University of Miami. Are they, is there a student film? Can can I come and serve pizza or work in the art department or uh, you know jump jump into some some aspect of, of, of the of the filmmaking process and um, you know go to um, the, the local news station and say can I shadow uh, you know a camera team and I think it just jump in as soon as as like as early as possible I mean in high school even and kind of start start doing and and watch more films and um, and then also I think to look for other like-minded like to start to build a community um, to look for other people who are also interested in doing you know in my case it was producing but start meeting writers and directors and to start finding my tribe and finding my people because I feel like um, that's you know that that is something that I think would have really been wonderful to do back then. Wow. That did, yeah. That's and and also maybe uh, search out a mentor, and you know actively say, uh, will you, you know, help me on my path? Here's where I want to go. I'm not exactly sure, but um, that's something else. Wow. Kevin, go back to Jacksonville and tell your younger self what what advice would you give that you think could have helped you now? I mean, you know, it's interesting because I'm sitting here thinking. I love where I've come to in my life on every element of it. I, I have a wonderful partner in my life and we have a great child and mm. um, we just have a you know really fantastic circumstance and that has come from struggle. Mm. Like working hard at everything, including our relationship, but you know, working hard in business and often stressing things that now I can look back and think, ah, oh, I shouldn't have taken it so seriously, right? But 
I wouldn't change anything because the journey is so critical. Like all of those struggles are a part of what, how you learn when you screw up. And God knows we've screwed up a million times in some really sometimes subtle ways and sometimes really (laughs) embarrassing ways. But you have to go through it. You know, it's how you learn and and why I appreciate kind of where we are. I I like the mentor part because I could have probably done better at at finding. I had some great mentors along the way, um, not necessarily in entertainment. Um, And I think maybe that other mentors in the business might have been helpful, too. I think both Francesca and I kind of came up in in different ways than maybe traditional. We didn't come through an agency or come through a studio. We kind of bootstrapped it ourselves through just doing the work. And um, that was hard but I think also formed who we are. I also, like, if I'm, I'm, one of the things we benefited from was just doing shit. Like, we just did, and I say this all the time when we talk to other people, younger people, I think this was something we were both good at. So I don't think it was something that I'd have to give advice to myself, but I think advice to other people is, and like you're saying, go and just make yeah, shit. Yeah, well, it's funny. That was that was actually wait, don't wait. Yeah. Like, don't wait for someone to say you're ready or it's time. Like if you're if you if you want to go produce a movie and you're 15 years old, figure out how to do it and start doing it. Like but don't like jump you can in. Make, I mean, you could do it a lot easier yeah. than when we were that right. age. Exactly. I mean, we yeah. made a movie on the iPhone. Like you can make a movie, you can edit it. Right. There's no reason that a kid and his Garage, right? Can't make something that could go to Sundance. Now, you know, there's a learning process that comes with understanding what it takes to make a great film. But everything, but you learn through repetition. Like you try stuff. This worked. That didn't work. Writing, writing, writing. You know, reading, reading, reading scripts. Watching movies. My brother talks about this. Like watching the behind the scenes of making stuff. Like the DVDs would have commentary. Right. And he said he learned as much from those things as he did from film school. Right. And I don't think you need film school. No, I don't think right. I didn't go to film school. I, you know, I my film school was working on sets, and I mean we've produced. 70 short films wow you know and I think that the, that that's informed and made us the producers that we are, we are today yeah for anything. sure wow I the mean, process is exactly the same as a feature it's just in a short yeah film. we're still making shorts I'm, I'm going out to LA in a couple of weeks because Zach Woods the actor has a partner Brandon Gardner they wrote a fantastic feature script that we're going to produce but um, and we've been encouraging him to think about directing it which I think he's now going to do so he wrote a 10 page script to go direct um, to get that experience before and Will Ferrell's Ferrell's going to star in it really yeah Yeah. and so he's going to put up the money himself and so we're going to be producing another short film wow that's awesome so that was actually part two was as a current mentor what advice would you give a young filmmaker uh, coming up today but you know I think you answered at least part of it just go out and do right I mean make stuff you know watch stuff read stuff and then make stuff and and you know, recognize that what you're in for, it is not an easy business. Um, you know, it's funny, early on in my career, Billy Crudup, who's an actor that we're, we know well, and I saw him um, talk to some young actors at one point, and he said, you know, somebody asked him for advice, and he said, if there's anything that you're passionate about as equally as this, go do that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because this is really hard. But if you love it, then you just got to go for it, you know, and some people have the disease, you know, right. And you just got to go do it. But, um, 
And I'd say, it, again, if there's something that you want to do, try to find the person that's doing that thing and try to write them a letter, you know, say, ask if you can take them to coffee, if you can shadow them, um, you know, also figure out a way, is there something you can contribute? Like I would say, show up proactively to a mentor and say, hey, I know you're working on this hmm. and I, you know, I have this skill and I'd love to contribute it or what, you know, I think that way. Like, how can I make this person's life easier or helpful or, you know, because what can you bring to the table? Wow. No, I, that's beautiful advice. And I, you know, we've, I think that we've just kind of narrowed in on like that, that, even though, you know, like I said, we don't have the big incentive, but there are resources here in the yeah. community. You know, Miami-Dade County has a film grant, yes. uh, you know, which starts at a half million dollar budget. Uh, you know, I think Ulight is a new arts organization yes. based on South Florida. They're yes. doing $50,000 uh, grants to make an entire micro budget feature. Obviously, the Borsch uh, folks, they give out money for shorts, Knight Foundation. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of resources at that lower level that I yeah. think that if we can all put our heads together, um, we can continue to make special things. No. Yes. One other thing I just want to finish with, too, and it's funny because I think about our 10-year-old and things that we talk with him about, but it's so applicable to everyone, and that is... You know, you, you, probably one of the most important things that that we have in the film industry is our reputation, mm. is as people who are true to our word, who are transparent, who who try to be good people. And I think that that carries us so far because I think that that people that we work with in the industry recognize that. Like we work hard at what we do to do a professional job, but we also work to take care of the people that we work with that we care about like we talked about Brooklyn Prince you know the young actress in, in the Florida project we spent a great deal of time with her family at the beginning of that process to even now um, wanting to take care of them as a family because you know the exposure to the stardom that can happen to her which is what's happening can can have a big impact be true to your word because you, your character is you know, at the end of the day, probably one of the most important things. And, and you only have, you know, you, 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 there's nothing that's worth selling that out for. Wow. You know, no, that's great advice. Yeah. Well, this has been an amazing hour. Hey, it's flown you. by. Uh, <laughs> and obviously we're so honored to have you in the community now and being so part of our much. film family in Miami. So thank you so much, Francesca. And thank you so much, Kevin, for stopping by Screen Heat Miami. Thank you, thank so you much very much. For Thanks having for having us. us. Yeah. Anytime. Appreciate it. All right, we're back in. Great interview. Thanks, man. That was fun. You killed it. Yeah, we both did. <laughs> no, that was a three. A three. Yeah. A threesome. That was a three-way. Yeah. Yeah, we'll say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're really fun. You know, just such great people. And, and such great work. Such amazing work and just the way they started. And, you know, they felt like, you know, they know so much, so many people in the industry. They have so many great connections, but they're just, they're so humble. They're very real. Yeah. And I just, I really appreciate the authenticity uh, of both of them, you know, Kevin and Francesca. So you guys are doing great, great, great work. So please keep it up. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a fan of Sean Baker. Oh, yeah. Great so, filmmaker. Yeah. 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 Tangerine was incredible. You know, the way they shot that on the iPhone and all that iPhone. stuff. Man, good stuff. Yeah, just a, a way of making films in such a visceral manner and just, you know, experimenting with form and with uh, cameras and stuff. It's just, it's cool, man. I have to give it up. And, you know, Apple, of course, we do want you as a sponsor. So the Tim Cook thing, you know, let's disregard that. Well, but, we ju we're just commenting. We are not putting, again... 
we didn't put a general opinion one way or the other. It's just, but that's <laughs> right. what happened. It happened. It, it literally happen. just happened in front of our face. But, um, you know, we're in production on the documentary right now. So for the documentary, we are shooting mostly on, oh, we have shot, you know, mostly on the FS7s, FS5s, and, you know, Sony cameras. Right. Uh, but I have, on my recent trip to Venice, shot on the new iPhone 11 Pro which I love. Yeah. Now, it does shoot at 4K at 60 frames a second. Um, but for Sean Baker, what this, did they say iPhone 5? It was one of the early iPhones, yeah. IPhone it was one of the first ones. To shoot Tangerine yeah. on an iPhone and it 5. It looks so good. It looks so, so it, good. It looks great. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. What a feat. What, it was it was tremendous. That was a tremendous accomplishment. And yeah, for that filmmaker and those producers, it's been an incredible journey. So I can't wait to see that next project on the opioid crisis that they're working on, I think, up in Vancouver. That's going to be pretty dope. Yes. Pardon yes. the pun. I shouldn't have said dope. That I didn't mean it that way. All right. I'm not Ricky Gervais. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it kind of is, though, isn't it? it kind of, it's not what, no, sorry. So anyway, so you had a teaser. You left off about Pluto. Yes. Well, it was. Now you just gave it away. But it was about the acquisition of Miramax by Viacom. Yes, that we knew. So we also know that Viacom purchased Pluto, which was a portal uh, before they purchased it, where they had different channels, like maybe 99 channels of different things from around the Internet. So they had like a cat channel. They had like a sports channel. But it was just like very niche, you know, videos from Vimeo and YouTube and, you know, aggregated content from around the Internet. Right, right. But it had a cult like following. And that following grew to millions of people that would watch this Pluto app. Yeah. So they purchased it. Three hundred and fifty million. Actually, three hundred and forty four million dollars. It's a decent number. I open the app and the next thing you know, it's all populated with Viacom content. So it's like MTV2, right. um, the movies from their library, because right. Viacom is the parent company for Nickelodeon, MTV, Paramount Picture. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah, VH1. Companies, VH1. BT. That are, yeah, that are, that are underneath, underneath their umbrella. Yeah. So I can opinion that we are going to see Miramax content on Pluto. Yeah, it's just coming in the future. I, I, yeah, and I, I can't imagine that these type of deals won't continue. That all these brands or these production companies or mini studios that house these IPs that could still have value uh, are going to be scooped up, and there's going to just be more mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, and so the big players are going to swallow the little fish just to make sure they're getting certain segments of the market. And it's uh, it's going to be a fascinating ride because, you know, between like the big ones like Disney and Amazon and Hulu. Now, you know, TiVo is making a run back into the game, I've heard. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they never left, really. They never left. But, you know, and like they, they served a very early purpose. They were one of the first ones that kind of jumped into the whole idea of digital content and over the top. Yeah. But uh, but it looks like now they're they're going to be players once again. No. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Well, anyone that has a name. Anybody that has a name. <laughs> if anything ever meant anything to anyone, at some point... It's coming back. It's going to come back yeah. in some way. Yep. But speaking of a comeback, hmm. Uncut Gems. Oh, yes. Ugh. Oh, my gosh. That was... That was quite... I did see that recently. So, and I know that we had our, our intern wants to come and talk yes, about it Yes, well. I think that we're going to... 
There he is. Andre. Have an intern Andre moment. This is going to be a twofer, though, because I saw the film as well, but I, I'd love to get Andre's take, and I'll kind of chime in on it as well. I haven't seen it yet. Right. Andre. Try not to give too many we spoilers. Don't give any spoilers. Spoiler free. You've done good so far. Spoiler free, I promise. You already hit the mark on the table. Whoa. <laughs> All right, on, Andre. Andre. Oh, don't it. let us down. Give it to us. Okay, so... <sighs> Uncut Gems. There, I liked it a lot. I um, I personally think it is a theater movie, but that's because it's very stylized in a in in a way that I appreciate. I've I saw the director's last movie, and I enjoyed it a lot. So I did a lot of research on how they made the movie. Um, and basically, their last movie, Good Time, is just kind of like. Uncut Gems Light. It's kind of like the same kind of like crime caper kind of thing, but just not... I feel like Uncut Gems is more realized. It's bigger, it's grander, and and there's a lot more happening. But as we were talking with JL earlier, it does not let up at all. It's very chaotic, and it just keeps on going, and it doesn't give you room to breathe at all. Yeah, I was I was anxious the entire like I've never been in a film that has given me that much anxiety from beginning to end. It's just between Adam Sandler's really, really good performance. It was a great performance. And just the way that the directors, the safety brothers shot it and just like the cuts and the close ups. I just felt like like, yeah, I couldn't breathe almost. It's very it's a very claustrophobic movie. It's very cluster. That's a good way to put it, Andre. I like that. Very cluster. I haven't seen the movie, but I did listen to. An interview mm. with Adam Sandler mm-hmm. and the brothers, right? About the journey to bring this to the screen, and it's mm. actually been a ten-year journey. Yeah, it's been around for a while. Yeah, no. yeah. So yeah. ten years ago, they brought this to Adam Sandler's production company. Mm. Adam Sandler read the script. He hated it. <laughs> he told them, "You guys have to go back to work." Right. So they brought it back to him three times. Wow. And so the third time was the charm. So he didn't say no. He just said not yet. Yes. I'm going to need you to go back there and just uh, fix a couple of things <laughs> because it could be a good movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I just you need to work on the script because right now I have no idea what's going on. That's exactly what he said. They played a clip. That's, they played I, a clip. That's exactly what he said. Just like that. Right. There you go. Yeah. So just imagine that, you know, ten, actually 11 year journey because, you know, the production of the actual film, you know, but I think that it came at a. A great time for Adam Sandler. Oh, it did. And the fact that, you know, now you have a company like A24 around, you know, which, you know, also... They what, know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're like, you know, we keep... We talked about Miramax. We talked about Kevin and Francesca's involvement with them with the Florida Project. But they are the new Miramax. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the thing is... And it, but it it's unique. It's different. It's different. back in the Miramax days, you could release these kind of films and make money. Right. Now it's harder to release these kind of films right. and have them turn a profit. Right. What A24 is doing is they are releasing high concept indie films. Right. And recouping the and, money. And these films aren't polished. Like I felt like like they're they're raw and they're edgy and they're unique. You know, I feel like the Miramax films had a certain polishedness they, to they it. Did, they were very right. kind of you like know, they felt, felt like the Oscars. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? This um this movie, uh I know the the directors use an old older camera, so that's why you can see the grain and all that stuff. And it's very grainy. All the scenes outside is not on a close set. 
those are just random people and they're filming in between. Yeah, it's almost like a traffic. documentary style. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. What I can say... A good point. And, and I don't know if this is true. We have to maybe get someone from A24, but I think... A24, if you're listening, <laughs> we're going to need you on the set. There you go. Um, they're more celebratory of the filmmaker, you know? The auteur. Auteur, that's what I was going to say. Each one of their films really have distinct feelings. Yeah. You know? And if you look at, don't get me wrong, Miramax, Quentin Tarantino, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Robert and, Rodriguez and was part of the family there, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, certainly A24 films, each one of them have a distinct feel and a distinct vision. You're right, yeah. So, yeah, they, they, there are similarities in terms of, I think, the overall style and, like I said, the rawness well, yeah, they of have them. certain types of films. Right. You know? But uh, but yeah, definitely. I mean, look, from Barry Jenkins to Lulu Wang to, mm-hmm. you know, obviously uh, you know, Sean Baker that we just talked about. It's and celebrating the filmmakers. Safety Brothers. Yeah, very, very European in that sense. Huh? Could think. be. Yeah. Well, you, you know that's the story, what the name A24 is, right? No. When one of the guys apparently was coming up with a name, I think he was driving on a highway in Italy that was called the A24. Oh. And that's what, it's literally just a highway somewhere in, in the middle of Italy. We got to go there, man. Yeah. yeah. What are we doing? You got to check it out. It's on you Wikipedia. got your Italian connection? I, yes. I lived in Italy. <laughs> Very personal connection, yes. <laughs> yeah. La familia. Yes. Molto bene. Uh, so, there you go. Tutto bene. Right. So there you go. For those that didn't know, that's that's where the name came from. I was always curious. I'm like, what, what what is that? It's just a letter and two numbers? We got to go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. That's going to be a Screen Heat Miami trip. Oh, yes. And we do have something before intern Andre goes. We are going to have exclusives for Screen Heat Miami video vignettes. Oh, did you hear that, everyone? Video vignettes coming soon to the Screen Heat Miami family. So thank you, intern Andre. No problem. You didn't fail us. No, you didn't. One more thing before I go. Uh Uh-oh. You heard it here first. Kevin Garnett is a better actor than Michael Jordan. 100%. 100%. Oh! I would agree with that. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. It's a Screen Heat Miami exclusive. Yeah. Nothing against Space Jam. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was a really good performance. Hey, like, Michael Jordan, yeah. we want you as a sponsor, too. There you go. We love you, too. Yeah, we love we love our Nikes. No. <laughs> Thank They're you, Jordan. intern Andre. Thanks, no Andre. So, wow, he went out with a bang. <laughs> yes. So... Yes. Yeah, I think it's been a good run. I think that, you know, unless we want to tease next week, what do you think? Um, no. No. It's We're going to leave that on a cliffhanger. Oh, yes. But, uh, yes, this has been a great way to start the new year with a great interview, all the awards buzz. We can't wait to talk about what's going to happen with the Oscars when those nominations come out and just see how, how that great story ends. Yes, absolutely. Glad to be back. Yes, me too, brother. We have some great interviews coming up for you in this new season amazing interviews we just did one yesterday we're not going to give it away but it was so good yes it was hot it was really really good and then moving into Sundance we have a Sundance filmmaker coming up oh yes yeah we got tons of really cool people so stay tuned and we're just going to keep rocking and rolling until then this is Kevin Sharpley JL Martinez and we are Screen Heat Miami Stalin